Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective. Thank you to our worship team for leading us in those songs together. Uh, I hope you created space within your own homes or wherever you're watching from this morning to listen to the words, to, to sing, and to focus on what God wants to do in, in your life, in our lives as, as a collective community. Now, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, the promises that we see presented by God to us in the Bible are unfailingly true. And I want this, this, this online space to be a sacred one where you can discover that which God has in store for your life. Now, we're in the middle of a series journeying through the book of Exodus alongside the Israelite people. And if you've been following along, you will have heard me say this already, but I'm going to reiterate it for us this morning. That the life and person of Jesus is the central figure and foundation of the Bible. And and one that we are invited to place our trust in and to follow every single day. But... The people of Israel are this powerful and sometimes frighteningly frighteningly accurate presentation of what humanity's relationship with God really looks like. What your relationship and my relationship with God can encounter in the regular rhythms of life. And perhaps deserts, manna from heaven, giants and kings isn't a normal part of your life or my life. But in the midst of it all, we are invited to discover what God has for us and be challenged forward. So if you're ready to lean in with me, toss a thumbs up in your homes, fist bump someone that's next to you, and let's get after it. We're in Exodus chapter 32, and I'm going to invite this morning's readers to lead us. We're going to be reading the first eight verses of the chapter out of the NIV. Let's read together. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 8. The Golden Calf. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Tim and Nephilim all the way in California for leading us this morning. Uh, It's a wonderful thing that we get to share together. Now, uh, whether you realize it or not, 
God is deeply committed to you. He is mindful of you. God loves you. God knows you. God desires to intervene in your life in transformative ways. He desires to be the substitution in your story. But the issue is not will he trust us or commit to us, is that will we trust him? Now, whether you grew up in church or you grew up in a home where it was uh, you get up or get in trouble if you don't go to church, you will have likely heard something about this story that we just read. A commitment has been made, God to Israel and Israel to God. And Exodus then spends time outlining what it's going to look like to actually live in relationship with God. Chapters 25 to 31, they concentrate on Moses receiving instructions for the manufacturing of the temple and the consecration of the priesthood. All those instructions, they're designed to prepare the way for God to dwell in the midst of the Israelite camp. So a commitment takes place. And in light of God's plan to live among the people, the events narrated at the start of chapter 32 are are really ironic if we're being honest because in Exodus 32 we come to the story of the golden calf and if you remember Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai he's receiving the 10 commandments from God and while he's gone the people well they get a little restless and so they go to Aaron and they say hey we want you to make us something that we can worship. And, and Aaron, he, well, he obliges them. Now, can we just agree on something first? That despite our very best intentions and desires, uh, a commitment does not always equate to trust. Just because you commit to something doesn't mean you fully trust it. And, and you don't fully trust it to take place and any sort of commitment is actually simply the first time you choose to make that commitment in your heart. Every commitment, marriage, friendship, the commitment to church, commitment in your own personal relationship with God, commitment to your family, it is a commitment that takes daily, intentional time for it to come into place, for it to solidify. Commitment takes trust. When, when I was in middle school and in high school, I was invited to be part of, of a leadership group. And sometimes we would be invited to be part of a retreat or a day to stay after school where you would come and gather with other kids who were just upset about staying in school a little bit longer. I think we all have been there at some point. And, and normally, as part of this event, they would have icebreakers and exercises to help us build trust with one another, to build some camaraderie as a team, so that we would just trust one another and be effective leaders in the school year. Easier said than done, but also remember, this is pre-COVID, so we can do a lot more. And one of these exercises is called the classic trust fall. Have you ever done this before? Um, you're supposed to turn your back on your team, put your arms across your chest, close your eyes, and fall backwards. See, that, that's where the problem really starts for me, though. Right there, uh, I'm supposed to fall into them. And they would always do it near the start of the year. So, to be honest, I don't even know these people. And even if I did, what if I have issues or offense with one of them or all of them? And especially in, in middle school, th those kids are petty. Jason didn't save me a seat on the bus over the retreat, so 
The only part of the trust fall I'm going to let him enjoy is the fall part. And how is a couple of little middle school girls going to catch a slightly rotund middle school boy with braces and the whole whole setup going on up top here? And let's be honest, if I hit the floor, this is not just going to hurt my back, hurt my head, but it's going to be a jarring impact with all the braces. cutting. It's going to be a gory scene out of Hannibal Lecter. It's going to be too much for everyone. I, and, and I just don't feel great about them doing it. And I just don't think that the percentages are even in my favor, especially when deodorant was this whole new world, that there's so many elements that are at play here that are just going to be more than I want to trust. And this trust fall exercise, this decision that I need to commit towards falling into a direction has continued to be a conversation in my life because I've got some trust issues. It's not just one of them, but what if I don't fall right? What if I don't have the right angle? But in the midst of my trust issues, here's the big question. Will I put my full trust in God? Will I allow the fullness of who I am, what what I carry, what I'm struggling with, what I'm hoping for, to fall spiritually into the arms of God? I want you to know, City Collective. That whether you have acknowledged it yet or not, whether you live like it or not, God can catch and take on the full weight of your life. God is so committed to you. God is so mindful of you that he is saying you can bring the full weight of your marriage. You can can bring the full weight of your single life, of your dating life, of your stresses, of your career, of your successes, of your brokenness, of your unresolved issues. Wherever you are, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, you can let the full weight of your life fall into the grace, love, peace, truth, wisdom, power, and new life of God. But this is easier said than done. Because the reality of our life is that we have trust issues. I've got trust issues. I know that. And this is what we know in this story. Israel had trust issues because we have to understand the action of the people has now just taken place at only 40 days after Moses has ascended Mount Sinai. The sealing of the covenant took place 40 days earlier in in chapter 24. Just 40 days have passed and and their angst isn't even over the, the fact that their leader, the one that has led them out of Egypt, the one that has led them through miracles is gone. It is purely selfish. The original language around how the people of Israel felt about Moses not being back is more along the lines of they feel like he's embarrassingly late. And that kind of describes the way the people respond to Moses' delay, re- delayed return. And, and it's, this, it's the author's graphic and powerful spiritual psychoanalysis of the situation. They aren't even really concerned with Moses' well-being. Everything is about them at this point. They're they're concerned about numero uno, about themselves, and they fall into the trap of unhealthy expectations that we can all fall into. When we feel like we aren't getting what we expected out of a commitment, we attempt to manipulate it to work the way that we want. And we get impatient. And the fruit of impatience is compromise. And you might be saying, well, duh, they, they made an idol, clearly they compromised. But the story isn't exactly as we sometimes think. It's a bit more subtle because Israel, catch this, they didn't actually try and worship another god. Let's look at the text. It says in verse 4, he took what they handed him, this is Aaron, 
And he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Okay, that sounds like another god. He fashioned it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. But that word gods can often be singular, actually. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Did you catch that? They meant the calf to be an image, a visible sign of Jehovah God. And there consisted not in the breach of the first commandment, Exodus 20 verse 3, but in many ways they're trying to find a loophole and they did what we all do. Oh God, listen, I, I, I obeyed you in this so it's okay if I disobey you in that. I'm only human after all, sure. They didn't break the first commandment. They didn't try to have another God, but they definitely didn't keep reading the covenant. They had established with God and they didn't see pretty clearly reference in number two that says no idols, no no image that is made, but there is a feeling of accomplishment that comes with one part that then sometimes give us permission to selectively forget the other. They had, they were trying to worship God, but they were doing it out of a place of disobedience. Have you ever experienced moments like this? I've done enough good things today. I'm allowed to say something cruel, do something evil, act in a dishonest manner. I'm an honest person after all. I was really truthful this morning. So since I was truthful this morning, I can lie a little bit right now and we justify our compromising of a commitment. But this is what we need to understand about the manner in which God desires a relationship with us today. That if we believe that a covenant with God is simply guidelines to avoid condemnation instead of a pathway to protection, we are diminishing the death and resurrection of Jesus and the free free gift of forgiveness to actually be something that we need to earn. We start operating out of this place that I need to earn and because I have done this part, I can get away with this part and soon our inability to live out of perfection becomes evident and we alter our commitment to appease our feeling of guilt to make ourselves believe that we're just doing what is best and we compromise. And compromise is a situation in which people accept something slightly different from what they really want. See, the use of idols in that in that ancient Near Near East culture was a major feature. At the heart of the practice was the belief that the image provided immediate access to the deity it represented. Not only did the image resemble the deity, but more importantly, the deity was present in the idol. And against this background, the Israelites' request for an idol is motivated by a desire to simply guarantee God's presence with them. They were feeling a little insecure a little worried. Israel wanted Moses. Israel wanted the God of Mount Sinai to come with them, but they were willing to accept a golden calf because of their impatience. Compromise is the fruit of impatience. It's a fine balance to be found in a season of waiting, but good things take time. Healing takes time. 
Relationships take time. Stability takes time. Depth takes time. And when we impatiently rush to the end, we compromise the journey that God is wanting us on. And God was just asking for a little patience from Israel. He's with Moses. He's laying it out for what the kingdom of Israel was going to look like. The Israelites were just constantly impatient. And their track record in Egypt was coming true again in this next season. And it was the true colors that were coming through. And here's the thing. Things unhealthy in the previous season don't suddenly disappear when God brings you into the next. We need to recognize what's unhealthy now as God takes us into the next season. So Aaron, he, he doesn't see what's going on and he grabs everyone's uh, jewelry and the gold rings. They were part of the spoils that the Egyptians freely gave to the Israelites as they left Egypt. The irony is that the gold is now in a sense being given back to the gods of Egypt in many ways. And, and when the calf is fashioned, the people bow down and they worship it. And Aaron says, tomorrow we are going to have a feast to Yahweh. So this is some pretty interesting stuff going on here. And I think it's important for us to pay attention. Like I said, they're, they're actually trying to worship Yahweh in this moment. They're, they're not trying to worship another God, but they're doing it in a way that's workable for them. And I think the first question we need to ask is, why does Aaron fashion a calf? Well, if we think about the cultures that were surrounding the Israelites at this time, they've just come out of Egypt, where the bull was a pagan deity who was worshipped, and, and they're heading into Canaan, where the bull was also a representative of, of a deity in that region. So why is it that when Aaron decides to make an idol, he goes with a calf. He doesn't fashion a bull. Well, I lived in Alberta for majority of my life and every year in Calgary, we would have the self-proclaimed, always overpriced, but beloved Calgary Stampede at which they would host a daily rodeo. Horses, riders, bulls, calves. Now being born and raised in Calgary doesn't automatically equate to a lifetime of rodeo experience. Let's be, let's be very clear here. I had never really attended one. So to, to no one's surprise, I have never even ridden a horse. I've never gone fishing. I've just, and I just recently slept in a tent, but I've gone to a rodeo on a couple of occasions and, and there is this premium event called bull riding, which gets the juices pumping and, 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 and it's massively dangerous for the riders. And, and there's another, which I actually felt a little bad about called calf roping, which seemed actually pretty tough on the calves. And, and you know what they don't do? Uh, they don't do calf riding and bull roping because the bulls, they're big and they're dangerous. So when Aaron decides to fashion an idol, it's interesting that he takes what is really scary and an image in a pagan culture that would have been frightening and he kind of brings it down to this accessible level. He turns it into something that's approachable and he fashions something after his own preferences and provides something that people will be comfortable with, but then something else takes place. Voltaire, here he writes, if God created us in his own image, we have more than reciprocated. When, when the people bow down to worship, it, what, what does he do? He says, oh, hold on. Let's get Yahweh hooked into this thing. I've created this sanitized version of a pagan deity, but we're just going to say that this is associated with God. 
He's taken pagan culture, he's combined it with the belief system of the Israelites who were commanded to worship the one true God, and I think that this is a powerful image of the form that our idolatry often takes where we look at something that is a scary version out in our culture that we would say blatantly, no, I'm not going to give focus to that, that people are worshiping. And then we find a safer way for us to worship the same thing. And then many times we have a way to take whatever that is and assign some spiritual value to it as well to tell ourselves this really isn't a problem. I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. I say I do all the right things and it's okay if I just mix and match and make it all fit together. I, I, I think as we examine our own idolatry in light of this discussion in Exodus 32, we should keep in mind our tendency not to go and worship fully the thing that is not God but rather we take something that's not God and we create a distorted version of God based on how we're feeling in the moment, based on a sanitized version, and tell ourselves that we can make this work. Idolatry is a far more subtle, subtle act than we think it is. We find a sanitized version of what we know is wrong and combine that with what we know is right and we deem it good. People... We, we tend to assume that God is the deity that we want and all you have to do is snatch up a couple verses that seem to support your preferred version and then you spend a few years listening to, to a pastor reinforce them through selective storytelling and before you know it, the cement of those assumptions, they dry and you begin expecting God to work in particular ways in your life, not unlike the people of Israel. But here's the thing about the expectations that we set in our own assumptions. Because the thing that they desired was control and familiarity. They wanted God to be with them right there. They wanted to be look like what it looked like in Egypt and over what they believed God had intended for their life. The thing they needed was trust and faith that God had something better than what was. They wanted to be freed from the power of Egypt, but they needed to be freed from the power of sin. Often the things that we want are simply symptomatic fixes for the things that we need. And when Jesus enters into the equation, we don't know what to do with the reality that he doesn't come in a nice boxed up version of comfortable colloquialisms that aren't meant to confirm our biased, flawed, broken understanding of the world we live in, but your view of the the world isn't perfect. My view of the world isn't perfect. We don't know exactly what we need in every moment. Only Jesus brings a perfect perspective of the world that he is building, of the world he's creating, of the world he desires for us to take part in. And what we see in Exodus 32 is a people with commitment issues, a people that are willing to compromise, a people that are coasting along in even in the midst of amazing miracles are taking place. And God is trying to protect them from their worst tendencies. And through Jesus, we have access to God in a way that we didn't before because of sin. God is worthy of not just a partial worship, but of our full worship. And yet we offer so much, so many times, a partial portion of our worship and we engage in this dangerous game. But when we recognize him for the glorious God who is worthy of all worship, there is a great safety and joy to be found there. They got commitment issues. God is still for them. They, they got trust issues, God is still for them. They got compromising issues, God is still for them. 
They're interjecting a sanitized spirituality, but God is still for them. God refused to give up on the people of Israel. But we need to look at what led the people of Israel to that place. They thought they knew what they wanted. That they wanted God just to be with them in that moment and they were willing to compromise even the commitment they had just made. What are the ways we are compromising the commitments that we have made in our life to our friends, to our families, to our spouses, to, to, to our God? The ways in which we compromise and we justify our actions. The ways that we push people away from us so that we can simply feel like, oh, what I did was okay. We need to be honest with ourselves this morning. That our idolatry is often not so blatant as pointing our full focus in a completely different direction, but seeing something in culture that we know is not right, but we take a small portion of it and we, we craft it so that it can fit within the way that we want to experience God. And suddenly we've got our own golden calf that we're calling Yahweh, that we're calling Jesus, and we're calling it to be something that it is not. But here's, here's the truth that we're invited to in this morning. That every time we fall short, every time our focus is out of whack, that we compromise and our commitment is broken. There is grace and forgiveness that is found in the person of Jesus. That he comes so that he could seek and save those who are lost and the people of Israel. They might have been following God, but the minute they stopped uh, waiting for God and they let their impatience start rowing the boat forward, they were compromising all that God had already led them towards and they needed to actually face forward towards what God was preparing for them in the promised land. They had a lot more to learn on the way. There was a journey that they were going to be led upon. But here is what we get to be invited to through Jesus. We are invited to discover the fullness of life even in the fallenness of our sin. That even when we compromise, there is forgiveness to be found. And so for you and I this morning, wherever you find yourself, if you feel like you have compromised, if you feel like there is an area of your life where idolatry, a subtle fixation on one area that you have interjected into your faith that make that when you are honest about it is not really truly something that is healthy for your life, something that's something God desires for you, wherever it is, we just need to bring that to Jesus right here, right now in your homes. Name that whatever it is. Bring that to your mind and all together, let's just pray to pray. Pray this morning that where we are, Jesus would just come and meet us and start to bring the healing that our lives so desperately need. Would you pray with me this morning? So Father, we give you thanks for all the ways that we fall short. We repent and we turn our eyes to you. Thank you that your grace is more than enough, that you, you didn't come to simply outline guidelines for a condemnation, but pathways of protection, that you're trying to protect us from our worst tendencies, to place things before you, things that we believe are going to fulfill us but are not life-giving or sustaining, but they actually drain all that is good out of our lives. 
So I pray right now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you are guiding us and shaping us. Thank you for stories like the one we read in Exodus 32. That is not so obvious sometimes, but it's a little more subtle. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest with the people around us and identify our areas of compromise. Not so that we can just feel bad, but so that we can move forward and instead of compromising, so that we can get a partial reality of what you have for us, but we can grab hold of the fullness that you so desire for all of us to have. Thank you for our community. Thank you for our church. Lead us forward. Help us have a great day ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.